Welcome to Talk Design, the show where creatives have conversations. My guest on Talk Design today is Lawrence Speck. Now, Lawrence goes by the name of Larry, and he is an Austin five-generation Texan native. He's a professor at UT and has also a senior principal at Page Architecture. We're not going to talk about his awards. They're too long. It would take us longer than we'll get to talk on the podcast. There, he has made such an influence over architecture in the city of Austin and then all of its surrounds as well. Without further ado, I'm going to just say, Larry, welcome to the Talk Design. Thanks a lot. Looking forward to it. Man, I am so looking forward to it. We've had a little bit of a chat and we've crossed over so many things already that I'm going, oh, okay, where are we going with this? But I'm going to kick off with, it's a pretty common kind of question, but there was once this little kid who was kicking around and somehow your journey bumped into architecture. Obviously, you're creative. Obviously, you're analytical. And also really open and a huge giver, whether that was something that developed later in life, because to teach is also to just empower and give. What happened? Take me from when you first, maybe just before you first ever discovered architecture and what was your family like and all the rest, or was your dad an architect and you just followed on? Yeah, yeah, not that at all. 180 degrees the other direction. Uh, so I grew up in a little hick town in population 900 uh, wow. at the time. And I went to a tiny little high school with 50 people in my graduating class. But somehow, from the time I was like maybe seven or eight years old, I was just fascinated with buildings. So when I saw buildings in magazines, I would they were my favorite buildings, ones I really liked. And when I got to be maybe 12 or 13 years old, had an older brother. And my parents just said, when we go on the family vacation, you two decide where we're going to go. And you just chart it all out and figure it out. And then that's how we'll do our family vacation. So I picked out all the cool pictures of buildings I wanted to see. Oh, and I figured out where they were. I said, can we go here? Can we go here? Can we go here? And they did it. And so I I would find a really cool place in Memphis, Tennessee, and then another one in Washington, D.C. And then and we'd get in the station wagon and we'd just go on these pilgrimages in the summer. But I don't know where that came from, but I just always loved buildings. And I really always wanted to see them, not just see a picture. Yeah. I yeah. wanted to go there and be there and see that building. I had in my mind, I live in this little hick town. There are no architects. Nobody knows anything about architecture. None so of my teachers. Yeah, your interest of buildings. But your interest what? of buildings, your interest of buildings get, let you know that architects made them. Or through somebody somewhere there was. Yeah. You like these buildings? Architects design buildings. Maybe you'd like to be an architect. Absolutely. That's what I want to do. I want to be an architect. I didn't know anything about it. So my father was on the school board and they were building a new high school. Yeah. And so there was an architect. And so he said, look, could I have Larry like shadow you and just see and let him learn a little more about what an architect does. And maybe he wants to do this. Maybe he doesn't. And maybe he's suited for it. Maybe he's not. Yeah. He drives me into Houston. I spend a day shadowing this architect and picks me up in the evening takes me home. And then the next time they have a school board meeting, 
he asked this guy, do you think Larry has what it takes to be an architect? And the guy said, honestly, no, he doesn't. He's, he's a very impatient kid. And to be an architect, you have to have a lot of patience. And I just don't think this would be right for him. So from then on, my dad's discouraged. You're, you're not cut out for this. This is not good for you. But I was just tenacious enough to, no, nobody's telling me, I, I, I can't do this. I'll figure it out. And turns out this architect did a terrible high school. Terrible. As ugly and nasty and horrible to go through as you can imagine. So yeah, he took a lot of patience to do something that bad. Uh, uh, but I don't want to be that kind of architect. And uh, So anyway, I, I somehow hung on to it. Even when... Wow. My parents were against it. Uh, they did wa not want me to go to a college that had an architecture program. Uh, I had to really fight them. and But I just had it in my head. It's what I wanted to do. I love that. I love the fact that the guy says no, and then he does an absolutely appalling job. Of course. <laughs> Which is probably still standing today. Uh, it is. And it's. it was, it had, no windows in the classrooms. It was a horrible school. It was super energy efficient because yeah, right. there was no window. No window. It was a tomb. But uh, yeah, one of the one of the teachers quit because she said, "I won't teach in a classroom that has no window. I just well, won't I'd, do it." I'd be uh, with one her. Of the best teachers there, but yeah. yeah, it was a terrible high school. And can you imagine if you designed a high school now that had no windows in the classroom and had no connection with the outdoors or any of that? You'd Inspidious. probably just be, you just you can't imagine it. But he, as you said, right. maybe it was highly energy efficient. <laughs> it was highly energy efficient. It's probably cheap to terrible high school. <laughs> I think it's a brilliant story. And then also having the tenacity to keep driving forward and um, going, yeah, I still want this. But that probably made you incredibly driven to prove that you could do it as well. So mm -hmm. if they'd gone, sure, go to architecture school, you might not have been, you might have had the passion for it, but maybe not the proof of how hard you'd push yourself to prove to them that you made the right choice. That's, right. Uh, and I definitely I had to prove to my parents who yeah. at a certain point that we're not paying for it. You know, you're going the wrong direction here. And I'm OK, don't pay for it. Whatever. Fine. I'm going to do this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. That's really good. So then that piece of the journey took you to where once you you did you studied. What happened after that? Where did what was the next steps? Where did you go? So I the first place when I was in high school, I applied to Rice, very good yep. university yep. in Houston. Got in their architecture program, but then my parents didn't want me to go there, and so I, I compromised and said, "Okay, I'll go to the university you want me to go to for a year." And then they said they'd let me go anywhere I wanted. Then I wasn't going to go to Rice; that was too close. I wanted to go way away, so I went to MIT, and oh, so. Right. I ended up in Boston and loved it, loved there, loved the city. I've been this big kid. I just, I was like, it was wonderful to be in a real city and experience that. And I graduated from MIT and I got a job with a really good architecture firm in Boston. And that summer, I had been the teaching assistant to Don Linden. Uh, that was like, Charles Moore, Don Linden, Moore, Linden, Turnbull, Whitaker, that 
Don was the head of the department and he was my thesis advisor. I was his TA. I was a good friend. And so he said, you should be teaching. You're good at this. Watching you as a TA, you're good at this. You should be teaching. I've got an adjunct position available for the fall. Why don't you do this? And from the very beginning, I was teaching and I was practicing. I went to my firm and said, can I do this? Will you give me the flexibility? You, you do this 40 hours a week. You can do whatever you want. Take the time whenever you want. Really? I always have been teaching and practicing. Right and from the very beginning. From the very, right out of graduate school. And so I taught at MIT for, for a while and I just got hooked. I just, I loved the whole teaching aspect of it. I always loved the academic environment where people are questioning and challenging and thinking new things. And I always felt, felt like it was just a really great compliment to being an architect. So I did that from the very beginning. And then at a certain point, I decided I wanted to come back to Texas. And then I got a very serious tenure track position at University of Texas at Austin and set up my practice here and have been here for a long time. Yeah, uh, With that one interlude of going to Australia for a year. Yes, we will cover that as well. It's interesting like that you've always been in the teaching role as well. And I, I take your point of when people are young and not just necessarily young, but they're so curious, then they're prepared to spend the effort to not just say, why can't I or whatever, but to actually try and work out how. And being around that kind of energy and creating an environment for that kind of energy just drives people forward. Like it gives them the the ability to lift themselves up and then be guided to do it. But it also on your part, it means that you're always seeing how hard they're pushing to, so that right. energy isn't just I'm sitting back here like a fat cat in the office. It's actually, that's the cutting edge. It's right there. They're pushing right. it. They're pushing it. And honestly, they're very challenging. And I think every project I do, my students are going to be looking at this. Am I really doing the best I can do here? I don't want them sitting there thinking, guys, kind mm. of, a, he, he talks big, but he doesn't <laughs> produce. And I, I got to put it on the line. I think they're a wonderful compliment. I can't imagine teaching if I weren't practicing because it's real. I know what it's like to be an architect. I'm not, yeah. I'm not faking it. Yeah, uh, exactly. I think the students can just see that. They just know that uh, he's been there. Yeah. He, he knows, yeah. he knows what I'm trying. It's still there. And still there. Like, like, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And it, that's just invaluable to being a teacher. But also, I think it makes me a much better architect. I, it, there is something in the practice of architecture that can just make you reduce it down to just coping because it's demanding and it's hard. Yeah. And, and I go back to the university and I get a little bit of this ooh, inspiration. And now I've got to think on another level. And, and then you go back to the office and you got some of that yeah. mojo that drives you a little harder. I so, uh, it's a great compliment. And, and uh, I love also the just rhythm of I can go back and forth and back and forth and live in two worlds. And it's cool. Yeah, exactly. Eh? Like being a senior in a big firm and then also being at this cutting edge of folding paper and, and doing the most like rudimentary kind of parts of what makes something work and then getting 
I always think when I hear people talk about in an architectural school studio and how it's so challenging because the boundaries are so loose and so some people really struggle with the fact that they can't they're not directed enough and they mm-hmm. maybe struggle with not being able to direct themselves enough but in that looseness is all the genius as well but right. it's often it often gets passed over as well because it's so right. loose that they don't spot it and that as a teacher you go oh hold on a second come back around here you had yeah. something here and then they develop it and you get to be a part of the energy that's going into that without doing it yourself but just them exactly. discovering yeah and, and honestly that's a lot of to me it's a lot of being an architect it is collaborative mm-hmm. it's a team sport mm-hmm. and so when you're working with that student and trying to pull out the best in them in the office you're also trying to pull out the best in everybody around you and and i just have learned so much from great colleagues in the university yeah. who maybe they've got specializations that wow i can learn from what all they know which is a lot uh, yeah. and then also in the office just amazing colleagues there that so it's two rich environments that yeah. just had moving it it, um, it means that you're deep and deep in your passion the whole time absolutely yeah, yeah. i'm, yeah. I'm uh, I, I live in a crazy rich architectural world for yeah. sure yeah, it's so cool. It, it also gives you the perspective of being able to shape cities and stuff as well, because mm-hmm. you're seeing human behavior at this younger level and their cultural behaviors and things that they're bringing, as well as seeing it at a mature level and being able right. to see that breadth, which when you're placemaking cities, which I know you've had a lot right. of influence over the city of Austin, right. when you placemake these things, you've got this validity it's not just you turning up and building a box with no windows because it's it's like the school room and it's energy efficient right yeah and you know i I particularly think this current generation i think they're going to live differently than previous generations and i'm able to see those values in what they're thinking and what they're talking about and yeah, it makes you then a little more future oriented and thinking about maybe the city we're building should be for them, not just for what's here now. I saw something the other day when you're saying this. Um, it just reminded me was a little um, you know thing on Instagram, and it had a picture of Willie Nelson, of course, an Austin local, and uh, it said, "I'm really worried about the uh, future generation, about this generation." Um, as uh, some of their ideas, what are they going to leave for uh, the the world that Keith Richards and I are going to live in? Because <laughs> they're so old, <laughs> we're going to outlive them. So oh, that's great. That's cool. I'm worried about what they're choosing to do with it for no. us. <laughs> um, but that thing of you said that they're going to live differently. Tell me a bit about that. Tell me a bit about what you're seeing in the change i live in australia we make the world's second biggest homes and you guys make the biggest in america and i'm a great believer of that bigger isn't necessarily beautiful when it comes to a home it can be right but we are building resorts for families so often that 
there's a lot of the simplicity of life that's lost. And uh-huh. so I'd be really keen to see what you think this uh, or what you're feeling the future is that you see that these, I want to say, young, inspired people are, are going to shape because we right. should be so, going for what's uh, for them. I agree. And so most of our students, they grew up in that really big suburban house in Dallas or Houston or anywhere in the country. The students come from all over and and they, they were in a car culture where they drove everywhere to school and to the movies and to the grocery store and they just lived in a car. And and then they come to UT and we're in the middle of a city. Mm-hmm. The university is right in the center of the city. And more recently, they live in high-rise buildings that are on the west side of the campus in a very walkable urban neighborhood Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. they park their car and they don't see it for weeks because they walk to school and they walk downtown to sixth street for entertainment and they walk to concerts and they walk to or they take the bus or it's because honestly it's just too much hassle to take your car out find parking somewhere and it's just so much easier to walk or bike or take a scooter Scooter. yeah yeah so they they just have other ways of getting around and pretty soon they're loving it. It's like, why did I ever think it was cool to have a car? I want to live in a city where I can walk or bike or take a scooter or public transportation and I can get everywhere I want to do and it's super efficient and it's healthier because I'm uh-huh. moving and getting exercise. And so it's also healthier for the environment because they're not filling it with toxins. And, and yeah. Super sustainable. They don't have all mm-hmm. that fossil fuel they're burning. And, and they actually maybe have a nice sense of community in their building because they know their neighbors because they see them around, whereas in their suburban neighborhood they grew up in, they didn't really know anybody. Many of they them got in the car and drove out. Yeah. Yeah. And they waved through the windshield. That's how they knew their neighbor. So they live in this environment for a few years and they're like, oh, no, I, I don't want to go back to that. And, and I do think they're very concerned about sustainability. They're very concerned about their carbon footprint. And they're, they're thinking, why should I live in a single family house that has all walls in the ceiling and the roof exposed to 105 degrees? And I've got air conditioning against that, as opposed to a more compact unit in a building where I've got party walls on four sides. And then I may be a great view in the other yeah. direction. And they're very into, I want to be able to bike on a hike and bike trail and in a park and uh, on a greenway. And I want to be able to get around in the city and be in nature and go to beautiful Bart Springs swimming pool and things like that. I want to live in a place where I can touch nature, have clear access to nature, but also be energy efficient and be sustainable. So that's what I hear. And this is not architecture students. In fact, maybe the architecture students. This is everyone. I teach a class that is for everyone on the campus. It has 500 students every semester. It is the largest class at this university taught by a single professor. And it's an architecture class because we talk about the impact of architecture on your life. And when those students get in that mindset, they understand, I need to know this. And super popular class. But they, you know, they're thinking about what kind of life do I want to lead? 
What kind of community do I want to be a part of? What kind of footprint do I want to have on the world? And I'm amazed. at. I used to say those same things 15 years ago, a little bit deaf ears. They didn't yeah. quite get yeah. it. These students, damn, this is what they want to do. And uh, I do think we need to be building a world where they can do that if they want to. If they want to live in that suburban house, fine. And, and fine as well. Yeah. I'm just saying we need alternatives to that in cities, in places like Austin, yeah. other cities in Texas. Austin is a particularly a gem in that sense as well, though, because it's not oversized. And it does have, you ran through a nice little list of parts like the Greenway in Austin and around the mm-hmm. river and then down Barton Springs and around Ladybird Lake and stuff. And you go, Austin has a magical quality that it has all these things. And I know from hanging out around the UT area as well, I would, I love hanging out in downtown Austin. I love mm-hmm. Congress. I like Rainy Street. I like Sixth. All got different energies in each piece. Mm-hmm. And then there's there's great in East Austin. There's great spots in there as well. And it, the town has a very vibrant, I want to say, heartbeat to it. And yet it's a mm-hmm. big tech town as well at the same time. it's a you know, But it's got a, there's something different about it from a lot of other towns. And maybe I've always put it down to its size. And the fact that it brings, I want to say, it brings enough ranch and cowboy to it, but in a very, what the word is, in a in a way that has been, I want to say gentrified. It, you could be walking straight off a ranch and into that place, mm-hmm. and you could be at the Continental Club at 2.30 on a Saturday and dancing like mm-hmm. two-step. And you could be against somebody who's like a tech giant mm-hmm. and they'll still have a pair Elon of Elon Musk who yeah. has a house in Austin, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so it is, it's a fascinating mix of people that are in Austin as right. well. Like, I, I think that's definitely true. But And I've known Austin since I was a little kid because my grandparents lived here. And I visited constantly and yeah. been lived here for a long time. And it was a, a small town. It's gotten to be a city. It's not a big city, but it, it's completely transformed for sure. But the cool thing to me is that it's all by design. This is not an accident. And people right. go on Ladybird Lake and they think, oh, what a beautiful natural setting there was for us. All totally designed. That, la- that is a man-made lake. All those trees were planted. They weren't there to begin with. Barton Springs Pool. Yeah, they took the creek and they diverted it in a pipe under the sidewalk. And then they fed the springs into a man-made swimming pool. Volume. Yeah. Then becomes the pool and they dammed it. And they made this amazing, beautiful, green, soft, natural kind of place, but all designed. All of that Ladybird Lake, all of the hike and bike trail, all of that completely designed. And all the trails that then go up the creeks and in the rest of the city. Uh all completely designed and it's it just shows the power of design it, it, it is using nature as a partner in the design but and that's just the story of austin from its beginning in the 19th century it was inspired by nature but always designed very designed 
I had no idea. I had no idea that it was so like master planned as such, or not even Mm -hmm. just master planned, but there was a very deliberateness about it. So what made Austin have that foresight or, or what were there two architects that sat down and said, if we can get hold of this place, we can do something amazing. (laughs) You know, what happened that they actually created it, that it got created? I do think it's an ethos that came from the very beginning of the city in the 19th century. So it was located in this spot because there was a beautiful geography for the mm-hmm. capital of what was the country of Texas at the time. There were bluffs on yeah. either side. There's a symmetrical hill in the center. They could just see the Capitol building there and a road going down to the Colorado River. There would be Congress Avenue. And it just, the geography of the place informed the place being there and the initial sort of layout of the city. And then they named all their streets. The streets in one direction were all rivers of Texas. Mm-hmm geography the -hmm. streets in the other direction were the trees of texas Mm -hmm. more geography there was just a sensibility about working with nature but what they were doing was taking the natural form using it to inform the man-made form there and that's the history of austin at its best all the way through and there are moments when you lose the vision and then there are moments when it's just the driver and it's where we're going and i think since maybe the 1980s, there has been a very deliberate, uh, how can we use nature? How can we make the city really informed by the natural environment and, and outdoors and recreation and things like that? It, it, it is part of what makes it the heartbeat of that part of Texas. It is something, how it's been created is something that makes it, I want to say, hold on to you man maybe it is because of the fact that it didn't get removed or it didn't get overshaped and those things and it yeah it, uh, now I'm almost speechless going okay my mind is racing through <laughs> my you know 20 trips or whatever to Austin and <laughs> going uh, all those things you were saying and I'm going yeah okay yes I can see that now yes I get that I understand that and some of that I'd put together in my mind but I had no idea of the history but now I'm right. Yeah. Yeah. So there was, there was a moment and this was a super special moment for me, but the town like comprehensive plan, which was the largest planning project the city had ever tackled in 1984, the, the lower part of the city had become flood prone so badly that you couldn't really occupy the bottom of the city. And that was because they overgrazed the land in central Texas and all the water just started ru- being run off instead of seeping into the ground. Right. Because they overgrazed the land. The top soil all went off. It didn't seep in the ground. It just became mm-hmm. runoff. And then it all came down the Colorado River and it flooded the city, the lower five or six blocks. So for decades, nothing of any human habitation could happen in that area. So tell and me. then in the 1950s, they dammed the river. They had a big flood control project Mm -hmm. all the way through central Texas and uh, reacting to that overgrazing and the flooding. And when they dammed it and stabilized the water, then it gave the potential for uh, reorienting the city to the river instead of away from the flood prone river. And that 1984 town like comprehensive plan 
was all about how do we now make a city around the river instead of staying away from that dangerous feature. Uh, so when I moved here, uh, I bought a house on Ninth Street mm-hmm. and my grandmother who'd lived here forever said, oh no, you can't have a house on Ninth Street. It'll flood because that's too close to the river. Nine yeah. blocks from the river, that's too close to the river. They dammed it 20 years before, but the mentality was still, <laughs> don't live near the river. It's It'll flood. So when they did that, then it gave the opportunity. It took a few decades to realize it was an opportunity, but then to completely redesign the city so it works around the lake. And that's really what's been happening since 1984. And we located all of our cultural venues, the Symphony Hall, the Special Event Center, the Library, the City Hall, the Mexican-American Cultural Center, the uh, Convention Center. They're all right around the lake there in beautiful parks that have been developed there. And then all of our festivals, TL Fest, which is happening this weekend and the following weekend or Southwest, all of them happen then in this kind of cultural park that is in the center. So it's it's beautiful. But it also is was an opportunity to make sure all those cultural venues reinforced each other in this kind of new living room for the city. And then all those blocks that were flood prone then became mixed use district, very high density residential office, lots and lots of shops and retail and eateries and entertainment, and music venues and all of that that would inform mm-hmm. a kind of 24-7 lifestyle uh, in that area. Uh, but all of that was this vision in 1984 for reorienting the city to the river. And uh, and now, when you come and visit, it, of course, oh. it makes perfect sense. And, yeah. and it's there. Yeah, That was all by design. Sure. And not, none of it by accident, all by design. And um, Right. And it was it was many mayors and many city councils who stuck with it and, and said, yep, uh, when we locate this, it's got to be where it was in the plan. And, and all kinds of harnessing developers to say, nope, that's got to be mixed use. You've got to have retail on the ground floor there. Yep, you've got to plant those street trees. Yeah, you've got to make this connection, that connection. So it was... And it's hard to build in Austin. It is not like everybody <laughs> free to do what they want. No, there, you know, you, you're there's rules. Yeah, yeah. The number of houses squeezed in around some live oaks, and yeah. it'll be a new home. But those rules are benefiting the greater community and the city and its future and nature. All those things. Right. Oh, that's. I'm still blown away by. Now I, I wish I was going to be there this week to just go and walk it and see yeah. it and just see it with those eyes. In fact, next year when I'm there, I, I'm going to, I want to go for a walk with you there and see it Absolutely. through those eyes. I'll, 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 yeah. So last night and the night before yeah. I do a boat tour oh, and it's right. sponsored by the center for design. We have a center for design. I'm on the board of the uh-huh. center and occasionally we will do these boat tours. So you go down the river and I, just tell the whole story of how this happened. And we have council, we had two council members there on the boat tour, and we had the dean of the School of Architecture and the head of planning for the city. And just to remind everyone, okay, this is who we are. This is what we do in Austin. This is, this is how we got here. Now, what's the next step? 
What's the yeah. next step? What's the yeah. next step? And I think that's important to, okay, how can we make another generation of that kind of design? A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And and not only that, with you coming from your teaching, you are again influencing people who will stay in that city and not, I shouldn't say influencing, you're working with and guiding people who are going to stay in that city and it's going to become their home and multi-generational. They'll be saying we're five generations Texan or we're right. three generation uh-huh. Estonian. And this is going to be a part of what it is. And they're going to shape it from this next part. And I, I think that it's the fact that you take a boat tour like that and you just get everybody back to the grassroots of being plugged in to yeah. this is why and this is how. This is why and this right. is how. And right. and being you they'd be able to see their own failings in it, they'd be able to see their but it, it's just it's like a I want to say it's like a marketing plan. It's a, it's like a just oh get on this page and just have a little look and just mm-hmm. see what's worked really well and let's not wreck any of that to get to this. Let's go right. how do we get there and not lose right. any of this along the way. Right. I'm just a huge believer that architecture is a tool yes. for a city to get where it wants to go, to get where it wants to go economically, to get where it wants to go environmentally, to get where it wants to go as a culture. It's a tool and mm. it can be used or it can be ignored. And mm. uh, I think in Austin, we've done a pretty good job of using it as a tool. I, I think about where it's often ignored and you think of uh, when you travel in some third world countries and it is just a, it's just a mess. It's just a mess. Uh-huh. There is no planning there. You can't cross from this piece to that piece. Everything becomes frustratingly difficult, especially if it's in a foreign language. And I always think we're so spoiled because we live in curated societies, but when they're so well thought out and they so the the point that you made really early on that this comes from nature, that this these they looked at what the nature what nature had developed or, or was created in nature, and then they developed off that to enhance it and work with it and create more of it and keep it, keep it alive in, in that space right. as well. It takes me we we had a little conversation before we Um, started recording around this thing of building biology and then um, materiality and health and how do you see how a a city and even the residents the residential parts of a city whether they be towers or whatever engage in the greater picture of people's health like how does where you live nurture your health health and I can bang on about it for hours but I'd be really keen to just get your sense of yeah, where you see how architecture plays such a huge part in that. Right. In people's, mm. So, I uh, I mean, we uh, it was a great conversation right before we started recording. <laughs> where, uh, I mean, I, I, I so believe that uh, if you're 80 years old and you're walking around with a walker and you're frail and you, it may well be because you lived in a, a culture all your life where you depended on the car and you, went from place to place sitting on your butt in the car and uh, then you, you know, did your social media and you did your tv and you did your and you really just didn't move physically mm. now if you lived in a city where you were walking or you were biking or you were having other kinds of, or a city that had 
real recreation areas available to you where you could run, where you could work out, where you could. I just love seeing people, 25 people doing Tai Chi over there. They're just these kind of healthy recreational things that people can do. It, the, if you live in an environment that encourages a lifestyle that makes you move, then you're healthy. And if you don't, then when you get old, you may not be dead, but, oh, you're in such bad shape. You don't have any muscle toe. You don't have any stamina. You don't, you know, and you're living this freaking miserable life. And we, you and I talked about podcasters we love who are about, okay, how do you keep yourself healthy? How do you keep yourself vibrant? Uh, And okay, and then maybe something snaps you at a certain point. Okay, fine. But you lived your life in a beautiful way. That has a lot to do with the kind of physical environment you're you're put in and the opportunities that are there for all of that. I I was walking to work this morning uh, along the hike and bike trail with the bunny rabbits and the birds. And it had rained last night. It was all fresh and beautiful. And riding by me on the bicycle was JP, uh, one of the guy, younger guys who works in my office, and he's on his way. Can't stop and talk. I got, I'm late for a meeting. But uh, JP doesn't have a car. He's eight years old or something, and he lives in East Austin, that cool neighborhood yeah. you were talking about. Very and, gentrified. Uh, yeah. He could never afford to live there, except for the fact that he gave up his car. So he doesn't have to pay any money for the car payments or for the insurance or for the uh, gasoline or for the maintenance. Instead, it can go into his conduct. And so he's, I think, smart. This is a smart kid who is, instead of flushing all that money down the toilet, he's putting it into an investment that will probably accelerate in value. And and then he's biking to work and he's healthy. And the guy is, he didn't have to have a gym membership. He gets yeah. his exercise every day organically, yeah. just biking to work and biking home. And he also then on the weekends, he loves to bike on the trail and just go on umbilicals yeah. that go in the rest of the city. And that's what his physical environment allows him to do. And if it actually 25 years ago in Austin, he couldn't live that way. There was no possibility. Really? It didn't exist? No, the, the hike and bike trail didn't exist. Not 25 yeah. years ago, not where he's biking. Yeah, uh, it was a little bitty loop. Now it's yeah. massive, big loops. Oh, incredible! But, now, uh, yeah, it's all of that has been, it was all there in the town, like comprehensive plan in 1984. Yeah, we need to do this, and all those boardwalks and over the water, and yeah, all that was in there. But it took a while for all of it to get completed. Yeah, uh, but now he can he can negotiate the whole city on his bicycle, and it's yeah. healthy, super yeah. healthy. Yeah, it's healthy from every perspective as well. Like just for the planet, it's healthy. And mm-hmm. uh, it, it made it reminded me of that big bicycle sculpture that is, uh, I don't even know how to describe where it is, but it's in Austin. It's right, that stainless the, steel one. Yeah. 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 By the Chinese artist, I went That's it. Yeah, 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 yeah. I remember discovering it one day. I was walking, of, like you were. Right. I. I very rarely take taxis or public transport. If I can help it, I'll walk. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was walking with a friend of mine and we came around and that thing revealed itself. I've got mm-hmm. a bunch of photographs because of just the way yeah. that it plays with your eyes and stuff. And that was a really early on in a trip to my early trips to Austin. So I didn't, I didn't actually get just how many people bike. 
It wasn't actually yeah. till I really went over to Whip by UT that I realized how yeah. many people were riding push bikes around the city. Yeah. 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 Amazing. And now it's electric bikes. That yeah. gives a whole other, even little old ladies can ride a bicycle because they can ride their electric bike. Yeah. It gives them range. They can go further. Exactly. They can, mm-hmm. yeah. They and can they get can get a little older. exercise, but they yeah. can get it at their pace. A hundred percent. So moving to South by. So for people who are listening to the podcast, especially if you're not from Austin or from America, there's a most amazing festival, I'm going to call it, called South by Southwest. And it's an Austin-based festival. And you'll just hear people say South by. And South by started out as a little music festival. And then from that, it grew into technology and all kinds of things like entertainment, just so many things. And it's a hugely vibrant. It's first time of being hosted in a major city outside of Austin is in Sydney this month. And Larry is coming to speak at South by a lot of the things probably that we've been <laughs> wrapping it on about passionately. So go and if you listening to the podcast and you want to know what South by is, is go and have a look at what South by is and then look what they're going to do in Sydney. So, Larry, tell me about coming out to Australia, where you were in the year 78 and 79. Right. right. When, when I was a little baby architect, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, I lived in Australia for a year, and I just loved it, loved it. And I spent a lot of time in Western Australia, in Perth, but I also spent time in Melbourne and Sydney and Canberra and Adelaide, other places. So I traveled around a good bit. I was going to different universities. So in Sydney, I was at University of New South Wales and University of Sydney and working with the architecture programs there. And, and, and it was just an amazing opportunity and got to know some really great Australian architects. Later on, had Glenn Market come and spend a semester at University of Texas and made some great friends in Australia. And then I've been back several times, usually to speak at a conference or something like that. So this was, a, this was just too good to pass up. My yeah. city conference. Now it's in Sydney, which I love. I've always been a huge fan of Sydney. So it'll be a great opportunity. And I'm going to be speaking with my wife, which okay. has been more fun. Yeah. Yeah. She's an architect also? No, she is not an architect. She is, she's in, in marketing, but she has been very active in our city. She's very active in Urban Land Institute, which are kind of developers and finance business people contractors, architects. Urban Land Institute is a kind of building industry organization. She's been very involved in that. She's been very involved in Chamber of Commerce, uh, economic development, those kinds of things in Austin. So she is, she's in the kind of goal setting. These are things we need to be doing in Austin. Mary, how can architecture be a tool for us to do those things? She's one of her mentors, Mike Powers, super important guy and bringing the whole tech industry to Austin. But so she was really close with him. And, uh, and and then we were involved with Pike and some other, the mayor and other people in getting these companies to be comfortable with, oh, there's a, there's going to be a lifestyle in Austin that our people would be attracted to. It wasn't there yet, but there's going to be, and you can be on the cutting edge of that. And that was really what that economic driver was super important for starting that kind of mixed-use development in downtown, what the mayor was calling the digital district. 
where we're going to bring tech companies in. Yes. They're yes. Be great lifestyle for these young texters. And, yep. and it worked. Now, it did, Facebook, it did Google, work. they're all right in the mm-hmm. middle and, and they're part of the fuel that's fueling the, the mixed use development that's there. Yeah, that's fascinating. And so she's coming out as well. So you guys are on holiday. You guys are. Yeah, more or less. Yeah. <laughs> so she's never else... been to Australia. So it'll be great for her. So what else have you got planned while you're in Sydney? We're going to go to the beach. <laughs> yeah, uh, and then there, I'm going to poke around and see a lot of new developments. Uh-huh. I've got a long list of things that have been buildings to go and see time. in the station wagon. Absolutely, <laughs> and places to yeah. go and see that have been yeah. developed since the last time I was in Sydney. And I can remember back when I was there in the late '70s. Yeah, already Sydney had a vibrancy that was super impressive mm-hmm. to me, and. So I'm, and as I've gone back several times and I'm always checking in to see, is it still there? And it, it I does. have really still there. Yeah. It There's does. a magic of just vibrancy that yep. is in Sydney. It's a very special city. It, it has, it could, maybe because of the harbour, but it will definitely because mm-hmm. of the harbour, that's part of it. Mm-hmm. But it's also got so many great neighbourhoods and each neighbourhood has its own sort yeah. of community piece to it, mm-hmm. which I think makes Sydney a really exciting town to go to and be in. Every now and then we will take the kids and go on a holiday to Sydney from where we live just because of the fact that it has so much that it offers. My last time in Sydney, I climbed the Sydney Harbour Bridge. And uh-huh. if you get a chance to do it, it was done, it's worth that. doing. It is. And it gets the most spectacular view of yeah. the Opera House ever. Yeah. Gorgeous photographs from it, the top of the bridge looking down at the opera house. I thought it was one of those things that was so touristy to do and then uh, my friend and I we went let's go do this and yeah we both were like wow this is up there with other things that we've done yeah. um, and obviously and what a weird thing I, I mean I don't know <laughs> many bridges like that you can climb to the top of the no, bridge no. and that the fact that they made that possible what a cool thing. There's only one other in Australia and it's the it's in Brisbane and it's the Story Bridge in Brisbane, which is nowhere near the size of the Sydney Harbour mm-hmm. Bridge, but it also has the big arch and yep. you can climb up that. But otherwise yep. those are the two bridge climbs in Australia that exist. Yeah, it, it's a really cool thing. And there's so many there's that beautiful set of gardens up around Darling Harbour and stuff with the Chinese yep. garden and stuff up there as well. The Darling Harbour area has been uh, redeveloped and redeveloped over the years many times. It's right. been enhanced and enhanced. It's, again, a great part of town. They have a great festival, the Livid Festival there as well, which is really cool. And they light up the city and stuff. I don't know what else is on other than South by right now. But, yes, very exciting to, to have you come out there and talk about this, like placemaking and talk about architecture and right. how it affects right. things. And how it's I don't part think of the we as architects talk enough about this kind of profound effect that it has on people's lives, and often that effect is subliminal. Yes, it's, it's unconscious. So you're being affected by it, but you're not conscious of. Oh, wait a second! Uh, I just spent the last two hours doing X that I had no intention of doing. Yes, but the environment led me to do that, yeah. and I just intuitively followed. I was in uh, Barcelona this time last year and uh, at an architectural conference and 
one of the things that we in the walking around the city I didn't stay where everybody else stayed my wife and I went to she didn't go to the conference but she did she spoke at the conference but that was on business and stuff like that Mm -hmm. she was exploring the city and we had a wonderful architect Johannes Wartman who took us on big city tours and Johannes was, he said, so where are you staying? And I said, well, not just down here. And it was in a, like a, not a square because it wasn't square, but in a square. And he said, mm-hmm. do you know how that square became? He said, when there was a mayor that came into Barcelona and they found that there were certain buildings that had been built that were crumbling, weren't necessarily able to be restored. This in the old town kind of area. And they made a decision to remove them. And in removing those buildings, they made places. And it was a ver- just like you were saying about Austin. So it took a very old city. And then where they took these buildings out, they made places. And where they made these places, now they were vibrant spots with playgrounds and mm-hmm. coffee carts and food and music and all these things. And he was like, how did you end up here? Because this is one of the best examples of it in the city. And only minutes walk from the old gates of the Roman Mm -hmm. gates of the city. And just having, again, that discussion like you just gave me before about Austin was one of these things that then you discovered more and more of the culture of the city and how it was, Mm -hmm. the placemaking was put into it. So honestly, that's what my wife and I do when we go to a city. We go to see cool buildings, but we also just will go in a neighborhood that looks like a really interesting neighborhood and we'll just walk and walk and stop in a little shop and then to people and just discover and yeah it just we just like the vibe of uh of different cities and went Mm. to went to a neighborhood recreation center which Mm. we're no tourists go to a neighborhood recreation center but it was a a beautiful piece of architecture it was a secessionist building by a really good architect so i was interested in it and we go to the sauna and, and one of these no clothes <laughs> of genders, and I'd done that in Finland, and but I yep. didn't really know that was Vienna, uh, and, and we were not prepared for that. And it was just like one of the coolest experiences we had. My wife walked away, and she said, "I was standing there for thirty minutes talking to a guy I never saw in my life, stark naked, and <laughs> it was perfectly comfortable. It was wonderful. We had a great conversation." Uh, so. You just fall into these experiences that mm-hmm. are just out of your normal and and really let you get a slice of what's that city like. So I, I love because and architecture is often a wonderful little entree. You yes. went there because that's a cool architect did a great building in 1932. There. Yes. And you go in that building and there's something happening there that is just magical. That just right? lights you up. Right. Yeah, I love that. I love that whole kind of thing because it's you're experiencing it, not just observing it. You're actually in it. You're yeah. actually doing yeah. it. And it's the yeah. thing that often tourists, that they come and they go, but they don't get to dig in and actually be a part of it. They don't get to get into the little neighborhood part and find the grittiness and find the the real flavor of the culture. It's, yeah. Um, yeah, that's really cool. I have I have one last question, which is going to be, it's my 
one of my most favorite questions. I ask it of a lot of people, and I'm really keen to see how you answer this. If you had one last project you could do, and then it's penciled down, you cannot do another one. You cannot influence another one. It is you are done. This is the end of it. What would you choose? Oh, man, that is a really hard question. Uh, just maybe in a general sense, I love just doing ordinary buildings I mean, buildings that are not I mean, like I'm, I'm really not a museum guy or a symphony hall. I have done some museums. I've done this one symphony hall and those were fun to do. But I love the buildings that are everyday life. So maybe if I had one project left, that might be a wonderful park with a lot of different kind of pavilions where you could. You could swim here. You could do do a clothing, no clothing sauna. I don't know. Yeah. Or you could do a recreation in this area here. And then maybe there's also a little place for music over here. And there's a little place to eat over here. And, and then it would be a place where it's just vibrant life and people and place where people go to enjoy themselves and, and then make some really cool architecture yeah. that is exciting and fun and stimulating and draws people there, but it isn't just about being a piece of architecture. It's really about engendering a life. So something mm. around that would be my favorite kind of project. That would be fabulous, I'm sure, with the amount of information that you've gained in your life and experienced. And I, I like the fact that it, it's not a single building. It's a thing it's bigger than yeah. that and then you get to play right. you get to play even more it's right. yeah it you don't get down to one kind of style or one kind of thing you go okay this one tells me this informs me this one informs me that and then you would get to play it through right. and like I, I often think with music venues we i go to lots of music if i can and when I go to different music venues, I'm always interested in how the size and the architecture of the venue mm -hmm. sets my mood and expectation of what comes next and how it will be. And that I always find really fascinating that I walk into an old musical versus into something that's modern and I, my my expectation of from the architecture. This is purely driven by the architecture. Right. Uh -huh. just, just shifts, and I go, uh -huh. "Wow, okay." What's my and then what am I expecting from the venue to deliver in the way of the music at that point as well? So yeah, yeah. I think that that multi building approach. I love when you get sort of development areas where different architects get to put their finger in the pie. And right. but they're all working in the same space, mm -hmm. but they're, mm -hmm. and so they've got to work collaboratively, but then they're also pushing mm -hmm. against it. It's a bit like you saying about your students, <laughs> you don't get the, the opportunity to do something poorly because they would see it and not that you right. would want that right. anyway, but it's like a whip behind you that goes, yeah. you can, you've got to be beyond rigorous. <laughs> Right. And that, that way, if your colleagues are working with you, you're, yeah, I, I got to have my A game on here. Always, I also love buildings having conversation with each other. Mm -hmm. And it's always like more fun if you can make 
buildings that actually make a bigger something than just a building there. And the saddest thing is when there is an opportunity for buildings to have a real conversation with each other. And instead, it's just like one little ego game against the other little ego game. And it just falls flat. And that is that's us failing miserably as a profession. Yeah. If it's just, that one's all about being this star architect and that was all about being this star architect. And, and there's not any conversation between the buildings. That, that I totally agree. And I think that happens in our residential environment horribly in lots of yeah. places. Yeah. And it's, it's frightening. It's, yeah. And it is an ego race of, not just the designer, but the ego race of the cl- of the clients Absolutely. trying to stand out against each other. Right. Mm. It's all about one-upsmanship and greed and awful mm. values, whereas it should be about community and mm. sharing the same experiences and being in the same world, and and then it works. I had a conversation yesterday with a client where I said to them, was about a new build and I said as much as I tell you you're actually the most important thing in this you're not (laughs) they looked at me (laughs) and I said first of all we've got to take into respect what the land is and what what we're going to ruin this piece of land by putting something on it you know it's not going to be what it was before so we need to be really honorable to that and the environment and these things and and then there's going to be what the city says that we're allowed to do um, mm-hmm. So they're going to get precedent over you as well. But then after that, it's all about you. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> That's great. But those two things we cannot, we could ignore and people do all the time. Sure. Yeah. And we end up with the problems we have. But yeah. if we start like in the, that, this, your story about how Austin developed just took me there so strongly that it gave it, it already had its natural environment. And you're going to put a city there. And that's going to that's going to change everything. That's going to change mm-hmm. absolutely everything. Um, it's not like building one ranch house out on the on acreage. It'll change a piece mm-hmm. of it, but it won't change everything. But the mm-hmm. put a city there, it changes everything. Mm. It does. I'm looking forward to this park, but maybe not as your last project. <laughs> yeah, there's always there always seems like there's one more. We yeah. actually have one I can't talk about that is. We just won it like two weeks ago. I am so excited about that project. <laughs> uh, I'm about to pee in my pants. I'm just so <laughs> it's so uh, good, so thrilled to be doing that project. Oh, It'll be fun. Fantastic, Larry. Thank you so much for all your passion, sure. energy, knowledge, and just being so open with everything. I hope I can get down to uh, South by to to see you. It's only about two weeks away. I need to check my calendar against my wife's calendar. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your time. And I look forward to our next conversation. Excellent. Great to see you. Have a good day. You too, man. Hi, guys. I'm Adrian. I'm your host of Talk Design Podcast. I started this podcast a couple of years ago, and in doing it, my aim was to talk to amazing design people, creative minds, people who I could learn from and hopefully you could learn from. This was a big part of my whole reasoning for starting the podcast. We've cracked over 80 episodes, and we've done two homes tour specials for the AIA Austin in Texas, 
which have been really great fun, talking just specifically about houses. We've talked to HGTV stars. We've talked to building designers, interior designers, architects, business coaches, and some inspired characters along the way. People who have captured my imagination and their creative output and gone, huh, these people would bring a story to somebody else and maybe inspire them to go a little further with what they're doing as well. So I wanted to reach out and ask you all for some advice because you are the guys who tune in and listen and subscribe, and I really appreciate that. So I want some advice from you. If you guys would be happy to share with me, A, what you like best, so that I can better direct what we cover as content. And then also, if there's things you want to solve, what are the three biggest things you would like information on? What are those kind of keys so that I can look and go, okay, let's find somebody who speaks specifically on these points and get some depth of information back to you that would be really useful in your business or in your life or in your home, whichever one it would be. So if I could ask you to do that, I would be forever grateful if you would share with me just through the email based on the Talk Design website, which is www.talkdesign.show. If you could just reach out via that email and say to me, hey, this would be a really great subject for me, for my business or for my family or for my home or for the way I want to see life. I would love to be able to support you guys and find those people that we could talk to that would bring that to you. So thank you very much for taking the time to listen. I so appreciate the fact that you listen to the podcast. It makes it all the more fun when I get messages from you to say, hey, this inspired me. I had somebody who sent me one the other day that said, your podcast, and we were talking on a certain subject, it was a game changer for me. It was a game changer in how I viewed how I was looking at what I was doing with my design and what was going to come from that. So these things make it all the more worthwhile. So please, if you could tell me top three things that would be useful to you, I would love to support you guys in delivering that. Thank you and thank you for being a listener. Take care, have a wonderful day, evening, wherever you are, whatever it is. Cheers, Adrian, over and out.